promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Hello and welcome back to the Treadweary Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Carlton Smee, and this is the audio arm of Treadweary.com where we gather around the Word of God and we are looking for how God is working in us and for us and through us. Specifically, this, this, this difficulty that we have in believing ourselves to have to be good enough, to, the, this fear that we have over measuring up, up over, over being enough in whatever way, shape, or form. Think of yourself as a, as a senior in high school trying to, to figure out the, uh, everything that you need to do in order to measure up to be able to get into a college or get the right job or whatnot. That becomes our understanding of life as sinners, especially before God. And so we spend all this time trying to do all these good works and trying to, to fulfill our own righteousness. And what we actually need instead is Christ to come and do those things for us on our behalf. And so here at Treadweary, that is what we've been focusing on. And specifically, we've been going through the Gospel of John, looking at it through a lens of worship because we are such bad worshipers. And today will be nothing different. We're going to be finishing up John chapter 20, and then we will just have one more chapter to go. <laughs> just one more chapter to go, and then we will be we will be done. And, um, and so we just have, uh, this is the um, first of three more uh, episodes dealing with John, and then I'm going to take a little bit of a break and, and figure out where we're going to go next with this with this podcast. A big thank you to the few of you who do listen. I ask that you'd share it with with anyone uh, so that we can get more folks uh, listening. Uh, you can go on iTunes or wherever you listen to this Apple Podcasts and give us a review. That will help us be able to move up the uh, food chain a little bit to get a few more listeners. But um, otherwise, we're going to be looking at John chapter 20 today, uh, verses 19 through 31. And these should be very familiar to you if you are in any sort of liturgical church, because basically this is the reading that you have every Sunday after Easter, the first Sunday after Easter, nine times out of ten. It's the whole quote-unquote doubting Thomas section. And so that's what we're going to be reading today and taking a look at. So uh, pull out your Bibles, John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, and the doors were being the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, "Peace to you." Then he said to Thomas, "Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing." And Thomas answered and said to him, "My Lord and my God." Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, please open up your word to us that we might know Jesus more that we might understand the work that he has done for us and what it is that we need. And I pray that you would give us life in his name. In your name we pray, amen. Well, the first keys here that we see are that the doors are shut and the disciples are full of fear. They're in a position where they believe that everything's over. Everything that they did with Jesus was over. He's dead. It's time for them to go home. But they are afraid that they're going to be arrested now as co-conspirators And they're going to end up on that cross too. But they're looking at their lives and they're thinking, well, we lost. And, and their, their, their fear, their fear was, was uh, having a a rather large hold on them. And, and they, this was, this is before they even understood that there was going to be a resurrection but even more so, even if they believed that the resurrection was coming and that Jesus was coming at the same time, they're afraid because they abandoned him. They denied him. They kept silent. I, I, I think of this, the, the, just this one passage here uh, of them being assembled together and, and full of fear, the doors locked because they're afraid that it's going to be their turn next. And I think of all the people who don't come to church, all the people who uh, are angry at the church, or maybe they're afraid of the church because they think the church is a place in which you show up and all your all that happens is that you're told how horrible you are and you better change. Or maybe they're folks that, that don't come to church because they find it boring because it's not what they expect or it's not what they need or what they what they want. They're, they're maybe afraid of this Jesus because maybe this Jesus comes to us and, and calls us into life and being dead. It is hard for us to do that on our own unless his, his word does its work in us to bring us to life. And you have these disciples there out of fear, locked up. And the first thing that Jesus says to him after he appears is peace be with you. In some ways, this is a normal greeting. It's almost like saying good morning, sup dude, you know, that sort of thing. That that and he he doesn't show up and condemn them. He doesn't show up and strike them with lightning. He shows up and says peace be with you. A, a proclamation of greeting, a pro- proclamation of saying I'm so glad to see you. But then also this proclamation of peace. Peace between us, he says. We are at peace. You may think that we are not, but we are at peace. We are at shalom with one another. And there's also this declaration of the cross because he says now, now it says now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's, he comes to them as the Jesus he is and the Jesus that they need and the Jesus he's going to be regardless of what other Jesuses we want, what other Jesuses we expect, the Jesus that, that they thought they were going to get in this big-time political freedom fighter, and instead they get a Jesus who was crucified and now risen. And, and, and part of that struggle, going back to those people that aren't coming to church, and even the people that are coming to church, you, you, you have those who are at war with God. They're angry with God about something. They, they were told something about this God that, that doesn't really align with this kind of Jesus, this suffering Jesus, this Jesus who goes through the throes of death and rises again in order to prove that he has power over death, that even when we are in our sufferings, he is there suffering with us, but that also the suffering is not the end of the story for us. They got told something else. They got told something else about this God, that God has a wonderful plan for your life, that things are going to go great. And then when it doesn't go great, they're angry with God. They're at war with God over this. And then there's others who, who show up who they're totally at ease with themselves. They're totally at ease with themselves. And so they, they replace their Jesus with something else, with someone else, because they don't think that they need a, a crucified Jesus. They don't need a Jesus with holes in his hands. They don't need a Jesus with holes in his feet or her side. Um, and yet that's the Jesus that comes to us, that comes to us in, in our locked up selves, in our locked up hearts, in our locked up spirits. That's the Jesus that comes to proclaim peace, to, to, to call us to the cross that we might see in that the peace given to us from the Father. And then he, he says it again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent, so I send, he says. And, and first he, he breathes on them the Spirit. This is, this is hearkening back to Genesis 2-7, where it says that God made man out of the dirt, out of the dust, out of nothing, and he breathed into him life breathed into him breath, which, which the, the, the same word in both Greek and Hebrew deals with the spirit as being wind or breath. But then also we hearken back to John 3, that you must be born again, that you must be born from above, that you must be reborn in the spirit, that you are dead and you need new life. And here Christ is doing that in his disciples. In that moment, there is the breathing of life into them, the, the borning again of them, the birthing them in the Spirit. And he sends us with a mission. Because this is for you too. It's not just for the, the apostles. This is for you too. I send you with the same work that God sent me to do. And what is that? Well, he, he says... You know, he says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And then verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Called to a work of forgiveness. That's our mission, the forgiveness of sin. Because otherwise, as I, as I said, one of the, the, the main focus here at Treadwary is the fact that we spend quite a bit of our lives trying to overcome our own sin, trying to erase our own sin, trying to be better than our own sin. And here Christ comes and says, no, my job is actually to erase it, to soak it up, to take it away from you, to get rid of it. And he says, that's the mission of the church now, 
to go forward and declare in the name of Christ that your sins are forgiven you, that all the things that you try to do to make yourself enough, to, to fix yourself, to, to give yourself something that, that you, you didn't have before um, because you think you can do it on your own. No, you have to have someone else come from outside of you and speak into your ears, just like Christ had to breathe into the, the, the life of his disciples, that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and has to open up our ears so that the preacher can show up and proclaim to us, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven you, because that is the job of the church. So if that is the job of the church, then we wonder, for our Sunday gatherings, for our worship, what is it that needs to be done in those so that the focus becomes what it is that Christ provides in everything? In, in the in the traditional uh, liturgical sense, especially in the Lutheran Church, we begin everything with confession and absolution, and we work our way through to the point that we 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 end with the benediction, praying God's grace upon us. That we begin with our confession that we do not deserve the grace, and yet God comes to give us that gift, to give us that gift. Well, Thomas, poor Thomas, we always call him the doubter. I always want to put, uh, I, I always want to put quotes around that. Air quotes, the doubter. In fact, he is the sinner crying in all of us. He, he he's crying out, "I don't want an imposter Jesus. I don't want a fake Jesus. I don't want a Jesus that that didn't actually go to the cross. I want." I want the crucified Jesus. I don't want a crossless Jesus. I don't want an undying Jesus. I don't want the uncrucified Jesus. I need the dead, dying, crucified Jesus. And so if he is risen, that's the one that I want. I want the one that has the holes in his hands because I want to make sure that what it is that he did is true. That when he said it is finished, he meant it and it came to fruition. That all of it is done. All my sin being gone. That's what I want. That's the Jesus that I need right now. That's, that's in many ways, what Thomas is saying. And, and we jump on him for not believing. And, and in some ways, too, he, he's not believing because he's sitting here thinking, no, Jesus is dead. I saw him on that cross. Or I heard about it if he didn't see him. He, he's dead. There's no way he is still with us at all. Come back from the dead, opening up the grave And yet in some ways, that is the sinner that is proclaiming to us that I need that Jesus. I don't need any other kind of Jesus. I don't need a lovey-dovey Jesus. I don't need a hippie, uh, peace-love-dope Jesus. I need this Jesus who comes with nail-pierced hands, pierced side, scarred brow from that crown of thorns. I need that King, that Jesus. Otherwise, why Christianity? Why church? Why, if, it, if it's a crossless Jesus, if there is no forgiveness, if there's, if there's no crucifixion, then there is no resurrection. So we are still in our sins. We are going to die and we're going to be worm food and that's it. And we are in major trouble because we have not been reconciled with God. We have not been given new life. So that church then just becomes a sing-along or a glee club or a, a motivational session. It, it becomes just a concert or some form of entertainment or an interruption or a or a nuisance that makes us have to get up on a Sunday morning when we could sleep in, or it becomes a, a fellowship 
with 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 uh, being able to sit down with one another, but but no proclamation, no Jesus to be turned to, be, or or worse, even worse, it becomes a political rally. Isn't that what some of our churches have become? Where you show up and the, and the pastor just preaches whatever your personal political preference is. That's what that's what we go to find. That you have a, you have pastors uh, every time there's a new administration. There's there's some new pastor that steps up to be the voice of of the church that that backs whatever president there is whatever administration there is. And so it just becomes a political rally. It doesn't matter whether it's it's liberal or conservative, progressive or conservative. It doesn't matter, left or right. We all have churches that we get together, and basically all you do is you have a sermon about how horrible the other side is. Instead of having a Jesus that points us to the fact that we can do all the politicizing we want, we can have all the entertainment, we can have all the motivation, we can sing all our favorite songs, we can have all the coffee hours we want, but none of those do the work that Jesus does of getting rid of our sin, bringing us at peace with God, reconciling us with God by his blood, and defeating death for us. Otherwise, is it, it, what's the point of Jesus? Why Jesus then? If he's just going to be a nice example, or if he's just going to be a great teacher or whatnot, we can find that anywhere. In fact, I, I have colleagues and friends who spend more time quoting the latest theologian than they do Jesus. What, what's, what's the point then? There, if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if, if he's not the crucified and risen Jesus, then as Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we are most to be pitied because we are still in our sins. So if you have a church service where there is no forgiveness, there is no Jesus as the center of it all, then, then there is no point. It's, it's part of the reason why so many of our churches are dying. Because we're not giving a reason why. Because people can get up in the morning and they can watch Meet the Press. Or they can listen to NPR. Or they can watch Fox News. Or they can do whatever. They can go read the newspaper. And there will be no difference. No difference whatsoever. Or we have church services where they basically just... Uh, um, uh, uh, give us some sort of confidence in our own anxiety instead of bringing us the one who re- relieves us from our anxiety. Our anxiety is being there because we're worried. We're worried that we aren't going to be able to do enough in order to save ourselves. Or it is that Christ does that for us. So, church, what would happen if we made the focus of our services the desire to touch those hands, the feet, the side, to come in contact with Jesus and have Jesus come into contact with us through the word, through the sacraments, through our prayers, through even the hymns that we sing, what would change for us? That that Christ might stand before us and say, trust that I live and you will live also. That should become the focus for us. During this whole COVID time with our mortality being shoved in our faces, all the fear, all the doubt, all the anxiety that we have over over everything changing around us. And the only solid constant we have is that it says that, it, that Christ speaks to us and says, in this life you will have trouble, but in, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. 
I have, he says, Jesus has, not us, not the government, not our, our favorite sports team, but he has done it. Everything else will pass away, but Christ will last. And we have to hold to that. We have to understand that. We have to, we have to build all of our faith upon that. And, it, and it's there that, that Christ says, you know, reach here with your fingers and touch. Grab hold of me. Know that I am he, and I am the one who is risen. And Thomas does that final proclamation, my Lord and my God, to tell us that th- that should bring that should happen to us all the time. When we gather for worship, that should be our cry, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, one who is in power and control, who is over me, and who gives to me regularly. Well, we have here that, that Jesus says, well, you know, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed as though, as though John is prepared for you. That, he, that he's making sure that, that he accounts this, this, this happening of Christ for your sake. Because you have not seen and yet you believe. And that becomes the purpose of John's gospel. John's whole purpose statement, we have to wait until chapter 20 to hear it. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, saying that he could have written so many other things, but these were the ones that were essential. These were the things that you needed. Telling us that the whole purpose of this book is for those who have not seen, that it might be made real for them, that they might believe, but that also that we might trust that Christ is who he says he is, that he is the living one that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, that he is the Christ, and that by being the Savior, that means that we need one, that, and that this is the one who has saved us. But then that also we might have life in his name, telling us that we don't have life apart from him, and we are in need of that now. That is what we need. So church, I wonder if every Sunday, and pastors too, if you're listening, If every Sunday we got together and we said, okay, what does this church service need to look like so that those who have not seen Jesus might believe? What does this church service need to look like? What do we need to put in here so that people might leave trusting that this Christ is the Son of God, the one who who, who is speaking to us, that he is this Jesus, the Christ, the Savior? And what must be done in this service that we might know and trust that we have to have life in him apart from ourselves. Well, blessings to you, church. Prayers of safety during this time of COVID. I pray that you would be protected. Pray also, though, too, for your thanksgivings and and your times together, that they might be fruitful and that they might be joy-filled. And prayers abound for an end to this pandemic. Prayers for our churches. They They might continue to serve you and care for you and offer up to you the Jesus you need. With that being said, please share this with others. Tell them to go and take a listen. And uh, also would love to hear some feedback on what you'd like to see or or to have discussed. But until uh, next week, the Lord's blessings be upon you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.